tell us about Jesus Christ. I'm good to have you. I have to begin just by saying, wow, what a weekend this is turning out to be. I, I feel like I have been standing on holy ground. This is a beautiful opportunity to just stare into the face of Jesus. Uh, I'm convinced that this whole Word Becoming Flesh project that God launched with Jesus did not end with the ascension. Uh, that it's not just poetry that the New Testament church called themselves the body of Christ. That we continue to manifest the word in flesh. And I've seen a lot of Jesus, heard a lot of Jesus, and I'm really filled with gratitude, not just the organizers and the presenters, but everyone who has come here. It's been such a blessing to me. And I, I, I want to participate in that, and so in the encouraging words of Carl Medeiros, it's been a great weekend so far, Bruxy. Don't screw this up. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. Thank you. I received another... Thank you, man. Thank you, Paul. I received another encouraging word this morning. I was also thanked by someone for um, Conrad Gemp's talk yesterday. I took it. Um, and someone else on the street this morning when I arrived uh, said uh, an interesting uh, comment that it was a beautiful encouragement to me. It's not the first time I've heard this. She said, I really like the whole Jesus thing you've got going on here. She said, I really like that. I thought that was beautiful. And then she went on to say, yes, and I really like the whole Buddha thing you've got going on here, too. So it's kind of the whole interfaith dialogue happening right here. I don't know, when, when, when someone compliments a pastor's Buddha, uh, that's what she said, I, I really like your Buddha. I'm taking that as kind of like my booty, but more up front. So I'm happy with that. I'm going to take that one home and let people know. <clears throat> uh, I am a pastor of a church called The Meeting House, and, and I went in kicking and screaming into this, this line of work. Uh, it's never something I saw for myself, but I listened to the body of Christ. It was others around me who saw something in me that I didn't see, who believed that there was something I had to contribute that I didn't know. And so I'm a big believer in paying attention to how Jesus talks to us through one another. You know, Peter talks about in 1 Peter 4.10 that God has made us stewards of God's grace. What a beautiful phrase. Stewards of God's grace, managers of God's grace, and we're to bless one another with that. That means... Rather than just give me directly by the Spirit all the grace God's want me, God wants me to have, he will, he will give someone else the grace He wants me to have, and they are stewarding or managing God's grace for me. And He will give me some of you, the grace He wants you to have, and I will manage that or steward that for you. We're managers of God's grace to each other. As Westerners, when, when Peter also says that, we are, that we're all priests, as Westerners, we interpret that to say, that's good, I don't need anyone else, I can go directly to God. But of course, from a Hebrew mindset, to be told we're all priests would, to them, mean that's beautiful. We get to go to one another. We don't have to go to the paid professionals, but we do come together. And that's how we connect with Christ in such beautiful ways. So I believe in the Word of God continuing to be flesh. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in the authoritative, inerrant Word of God. And His name is Jesus. We're the very errant Word of God made flesh. <laughs> we don't do it perfectly. 
Where does scripture belong? Scripture, of course, is God's gift to the church, his God-breathed gift to the church so that we can ultimately manifest the word of God to one another and to the world around us. But it, this was never an endpoint destination for the God Communication Project to write a book for humanity. It was to record what he wants us to reflect on, what the early church reflected on, the entire story of his love for us. But then we need to let this get inside us so that we live it out. And I've been experiencing that here. As a pastor, uh, I said, I, I went kicking and screaming into this. My life's ambition before being a pastor was to be a DJ. That's what I wanted to be. I, I love dancing and I love helping people dance. I mean, I love music. I think God gave us music and God gave us our bodies, and I think the two should hang out more. <laughs> and so growing up, I just, I love being a DJ because it's helping them meet each other. My favorite ending to a parable, and I am going to get to a parable in a moment, but my favorite ending to a parable is the end of the parable of the prodigal son when the older brother's coming back in from the field, and he's offended by the concept of what he hears and what he finds out. If the younger brother is the sinner and the older brother is the religious leader and the father is God, then the home is the kingdom. And when the, the older brother who refuses to enter because of his self-perceived righteousness stands outside of the kingdom, he's offended because he hears and it says two things. What does it say? He heard the music and dancing. Mm-mm-mm. The kingdom is described as music and dancing. And some people don't like it. They'll stay outside. But I hope that more will come in. And so uh, I've had this beautiful privilege of being, see, I've continued to DJ. I've been a DJ longer than I've been a pastor. I've been a pastor 25 years, been a DJ longer. I still continue to do both. And I had a conversation with a guy at the reception that I was DJing. I DJ weddings and different things like that. And, and at this particular one, I was also the pastor of the wedding. And uh, it's fun when I get to do both. It confuses people when they show up at the dance and go, the DJ looks familiar, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. And uh, this, guy, this guy had that experience. You look familiar. Have I met you before? I said, yeah, two hours ago. I, <laughs> you heard me. I gave that sermon. And, we, and uh, it's kind of like for one-stop shopping for all your matrimonial needs. It's, it's, so... And he said, yeah, 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 okay, you were talking about grace. I said, yeah, grace, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. It's a Jesus thing. And he said, I still am trying to wrap my head around it. And he said, I need to ask you some more questions. So it's just beautiful to hang out with him and talk about grace. And, and he was really genuinely drawn in. And he said, so, so you're, you're, you're saying that grace is like free, and how does that relate? Like, I'm trying to be religious. And I said, no, no, no. Remember, grace is God freely doing for you everything that religion has been trying yet failing to do all these years. We try and bridge the gap. We create our stairway to heaven. And God says, it's unnecessary. You're not good enough at your construction. I'm going to come to you. And he comes and he wraps his loving arms around us and offers us everything that we've been trying through our good works, but we've been trying through our religious rules, regulations, rituals, and routines. Now, I understand from the outside looking in, Christianity looks like just any other religion, but there's a difference in the motivation. Uh, we are people who pray and go to church and study the scriptures, but we do all that differently with a different motivation. Uh, I tell people at the meeting house, we're that people who gather together regularly on a Sunday morning to celebrate the fact that we don't have to gather together regularly on a Sunday morning. 
There's no have to anymore for salvation. We're that group of people who want to have our noses in the scriptures so that we can be refreshed with the message that we don't have to have our noses in the scriptures, but that we can learn the message of grace. Then everything shifts from being a have to to a want to. That beautiful doctrine of justification says that God's given us a preview of our own future. In fact, he has click, dragged, and dropped our own future into our present and shown us that we will be judged not guilty. So now everything we do, we do for a sense of celebration, not salvation. Everything we do is the party. Everything we do is the kingdom. And so we're not trying to obtain anything. We're just wanting to wrap our minds and our hearts around what we have obtained through Christ. And so we're excited to come together and celebrate this. So I was telling this guy this, and he says to me, so I, I think that's beautiful. He says, but let me just push it a bit. Does that mean, and of course this is the question that it should lead to if you're starting to wrap your mind around grace, does that mean that I can just do anything I want, live any way I want, hurt anybody I want, be as selfish as I want, and if I just pray a prayer, I go to heaven when I die? And I said two things to him. I said, number one, how very Corinthian of you. <laughs> he didn't understand what I meant, so I moved on. And then secondly, I said, you know, that question reminds me of a story Jesus told. <laughs> and that's the story I would like to share with you in our remaining moments. Um, first, I would like to read it, and then we'll talk about it. It's the story of the buried treasure. <laughs> Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden or buried in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. So there once was a man who was apparently trespassing. <laughs> when he came upon a buried treasure. So apparently he wasn't just trespassing, he was also excavating on someone else's property. <laughs> and although his ethical standards were low enough to trespass and excavate, they weren't so low that he would then just take the treasure he found you got to have standards. <laughs> so he reburied the treasure and purposed in his heart to go to the owner of the land and find out how much it cost to buy the land so he could then own the treasure. Notice he's purchasing the land, not the treasure. He could never afford the treasure. And so he goes to the man and asks, what would it cost to buy this plot of land that I see you're the owner of? Man tells him, and he says, oy vey, I don't think I could afford that. Or could I? But with his eye on the treasure, because he is firmly convinced of the value of the treasure, it seems worthwhile to him to liquidate all of his assets so that this man has nothing left. He gives up everything he has because he is firmly convinced of the value of the treasure. He gives up everything he has and he buys the land so he can have the treasure. As Western evangelicals, uh, we're often used to, I mean, that's been my background, so that's where I've come from, uh, you often used to preaching, it's a free gift of grace. 
It's a free gift of grace, which is true. It's just that it's a half-truth, and a half-truth is uh, sometimes a half-lie. Because Jesus would want us just to add a, a footnote to that. It's a free gift of grace that will cost you everything. So his opening line, his sales pitch is not free gift of grace, pray this prayer, and then go about your business. It's all you have to do to start with me is die. Just pick up your cross, die. It'll just cost you everything. So this gentleman says to me, now, wait a second. Okay, so now you're saying it's not just grace. There's also a bunch of stuff you have to do. And I said, oh, but it's not a have to. I think you missed one of the words in the parable. You see, the man went and sold everything he had for the joy of being able to obtain the treasure. Now there's no more have-tos. There's just joy. There's just a want-to. There's just a privilege. So actually, giving up everything we have is not the great sacrifice. It's not the great hoop we have to jump through. It's actually our way of saying yes to the treasure. It's our way of saying, we believe in the value of the treasure. He's saying, the guy says to me, so you can kind of purchase the treasure? And I remind him, no, the treasure is something we could never afford. But we can give up what is holding us back from the treasure so that we can delight in something that is far richer than anything we've been holding on to yet. So, uh, my hope and encouragement for all of us is that we can delight in whatever apparent sacrifices we feel like we have to make. That God can give us a vision of the fact that this is not actually sacrifice. Uh, Jesus took care of the sacrifice. All we need to do is say yes to the value of the treasure. If that's the case, everything happens out of joy, out of celebration, out of music and dancing. And we don't have to pat ourselves on the back for our great sacrifices. We just simply are eager and joyful to give up anything we can, not only to experience more and more and more of the treasure, but then to be able to share it with others. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Thank you for letting me share it.